With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and here with me on the other end of the line, as usual, is my co-host Curtis. And today on the show, we're going to reveal our 2018 postseason awards. Uh, I know it's been a minute. This show is something that we have been wanting and planning on doing for a couple of weeks now. And it's it's a show that we typically do every year immediately after the season. But you guys know we've had, we kind of had to keep putting it off over the past couple of weeks to cover all the coaching news that followed the Sugar Bowl. So now that things have pretty much died down that far, I guess all we're waiting on, Kurt, is a, an official announcement on, on the defensive coordinator, right? Yeah. I mean, that's about all. And maybe some uh, support staff hires. But most of the news has kind of died down the coaching front. So now that it has, we're hoping to have some time over the next couple of weeks to actually do a few season-in-review type shows, starting with today's postseason awards show. And we will reveal all of those awards here in just a moment. But first, we do want to quickly remind everyone out there uh, who has not subscribed to our premium content on Podbean that you can do so today for only $2 a month, basically the cost of a candy bar. I haven't bought a candy bar in a while. That sounds about right, Kurt, right? About two bucks, something like that. Uh, so for for that, for two bucks a month, you get full access to all of our premium content throughout the long, far too long off season. Um, and by subscribing, really, guys, you help us kind of keep this show running and help us pay some of the overhead costs that are associated with running and kind of hosting a podcast here. And uh, and those subscriptions also help us keep this show ad free, which is something that we really want to do if at all possible. So if you listen to the show, then that likely means you're a diehard Georgia fan. And if you're a diehard Georgia fan, look, we know that the Football season or not, you need your football fix. If anything like Curtis and I, you got to have that. And so we try to do our best to kind of fill that need all year long, even through the offseason. If you're new to the show, we also cover all sorts of other Georgia sports programs in the offseason, including basketball, uh, which is not looking so great right now. We'll see what happens tonight against LSU. Uh, baseball is coming up here shortly, less than a month, and even some tennis talk. I love the tennis. Um, and look, we might not be the most polished podcasters out there. In fact, I will go out there on a limb and say we're definitely not the most polished podcasters out there. I own that. We know that. But we do try to give you Georgia content that you won't find anywhere else all year long. And subscribing is very quick. It's very easy. All you got to do is go to Podbean, search for the Glory UJ Podcast, or to make it even easier, just go to our Twitter feeds, at Glory underscore UGA, and just click on the little profile link there. It'll take you straight to the Podbean page. You click on the little yellow Buy Now button. And uh, type in your information, and boom, within like a minute or two, you are good to go. You get access to all of our content all year long. So, uh, if you, obviously, if anyone has any questions on that, you can uh, hit us up on Twitter. Again, it's at Glory underscore UGA. But enough of that. Let's get to the good stuff. Uh, this is the award season. Kurt, do you ever watch those awards show, the Golden Globes, the Grammys, Oscars, any of that junk? Not anymore. I saw the patience for it. I don't watch any of it. I will admit, I look up the winners. Like, you know, obviously now with the internet, you can just look up the winners. I don't I don't care about watching the show. I don't care about the comedians or, I guess in the case of the Oscars, no one's hosting it this year. I don't care about the musical acts and the I don't care about any of that. I look up the winners, but whatever. Uh, but, you know, all those shows, hanging out the hardware, you know, they, they all do it pretty much the same way. You know, they have their nominees, they have uh, the categories, and then boom, they announce the winners. So, 
Uh, we're going to kind of do our Georgia football postseason awards like that. Um, just like all the other award shows, we have a list of categories, and Curtis and I will run through the nominees, and then after that, we will announce our winner. We'll open up the little card and announce our winner. Not actually open up a card, but you get the idea. Um, now, how we got to these numbers is a little bit different than probably how they do on those awards show. Both of us voted in these categories by ranking each nominee one through four, with one being our first choice, and then whichever player had the lowest score, they won the award. So if, if it, some, let's say if DeAndre Baker got um, a one rating for both Curtis and I, because let's be real, he was awesome, then he would have a two, which is as low as you can get. He's going to win that award. So pretty simple. That's how we got our results. And look, we we know that many of you will disagree with a lot of these, and that's the beauty of these award shows. They drive conversation. And I'm, whatever we pick, I'm not saying it's the right answer. It's just what we came up with when we voted. So if you agree, disagree, whatever, you are totally welcome. Uh, we we definitely welcome it to for you guys to share your thoughts with us on Twitter. Again, that's at Glory underscore UGA. And that leads us to our first award. Sorry, this is not... Again, not the most polished podcast. We don't have the drum, uh, the drum uh, well, sound effect here. So just kind of imagine that's going on in the background. But uh, for the first award here, we're going to hand out the Offensive Newcomer of the Year. And the nominees are James Cook, Cade Mays, Offensive Lineman, Offensive Lineman Trey Hill. And I, I, I hate to even throw him out there, but like we had to have a fourth guy, right, Kurt? And on the offensive side, this is about the only other guy. Former quarterback, Justin Fields. So again, running back James Cook, offensive lineman Cade Mays, offensive lineman Trey Hill, and former Georgia quarterback, now Ohio State quarterback, Justin Fields as the offensive newcomer of the year. And drum roll, it is Cade Mays. Uh, Now, Kurt, you and I both had Cade Mays uh, on the top of our list here for the offensive newcomer of the year. Quickly, just kind of explain to me why you felt, of all those guys that were nominated for this award, you felt Cade Mays deserved to be at the top of that list. Um, I think just his versatility and what he brought to the table when, uh, you know, in a time of uncertainty, when uh, first off, when Thomas went out, we had no clue what we were going to do. And then, uh, you know, he, he does an admirable, admirable job trying to hold down a left tackle. And then sure. Cleveland goes down and he comes back in. You know, I think he might have really found a home over there in right guard. But either way, I think just his versatility and, you know, even when Trey Hill came in, when uh, uh, K. Mays went down, you could just see that K. Mays was ahead. You said it perfectly, the versatility, right? Uh, it totally helped us hold our offensive line together amidst a couple of injuries to some key players up front. And let's be honest, our offensive line was a key part of the team, right? Especially what we're doing offensively. Without the offensive line functioning at high level, we're at 2016. Now, obviously, it wouldn't be that bad because our, our talent is better than that. But if our offensive line is not working, we saw what our offense looks like in 2016. It ain't pretty. We all know that. We don't go back that way. So when you have Andrew Thomas going down the second game of the year, then you have Ben Cleveland going down. Uh, two weeks later, and Cade Mays is able to fill in for both of those guys. That versatility is just so valuable on the offensive line. And it was it's beyond the, just the versatility, though. I, he also played at a very high level for a true freshman. Don't you agree? I thought he did. Yeah, I mean, look, he wasn't perfect. There, he's. I think he was much more advanced as a freshman in the run-blocking game than he was in pass pro, and that's that's pretty typical for young guys coming into the offensive line. That's not abnormal. Um, but I love he's a mauler. He's got that nasty attitude. He's got a little bit of old Ben Jones to him, you know? 
uh, where he just doesn't care, man. He's a not, I mean, that, we all saw, I'm sure, that the, the the somewhat late hit in the Tennessee game. But he's one of those guys, like, if you're a Georgia fan, you love him. If you or anyone else, if you like any other team, you hate him because you think he's a he's a, uh, a kind of a cheap shot kind of guy, a dirty player. But, hey, he's our guy. We love him. And Cade Mays is our offensive newcomer of the year. So congratulations, Cade. Well earned. Uh, now, on the other side of the ball, we've got the defensive newcomer of the year. Uh, and we use the, the, the term newcomer instead of um, true freshman or freshman because some of these guys might be new to the team, like a transfer uh, or a JUCO guy, but not quite be a, a freshman. So that's why we went with the, with the term newcomer. But our defensive newcomer of the year nominees are as follows. Defensive lineman slash outside linebacker, more likely the outside linebacker this past year, maybe defensive lineman in the future. Britton Cox, uh, cornerback Tyson Campbell, linebacker Adam Anderson, and nose guard Jordan Davis. So Britton Cox, Tyson Campbell, Adam Anderson, and nose guard Jordan Davis. And drum roll, the winner is Jordan Davis. So Kurt, uh, here's another guy. You and I both had him ranked number one. This is a guy that didn't really start seeing serious playing time until literally like midway through the year before he gets his first start. So in half a season, how did Jordan Davis become the defensive newcomer of the year? I mean, you just saw the difference he brought to the defense when he came in. I think that's the biggest thing you saw, especially our run stoppage. Uh, it, was, it was a pretty drastic difference, right? Yeah, it was. And you saw in the Texas game, you know, we were getting gassed a little bit in the run game when he went out again. Yeah, when he wasn't in that game. There's no doubt about it. I mean, Texas didn't run the – they weren't explosive run the football, but they ran the ball, football effectively enough. And I think a big part of that was the fact that, you're right, Jordan Davis was not in that game. He was injured. That hurt. Having, having Not having him or Walker, that was a problem in that game. Uh, we had a lot of other problems, but that was a problem. Uh, I, I think you're right. You look at the beginning of the season. It, it was almost like defensively against the run. It was a tale of two parts of the season, two halves of the season. The first half of the season, we were like, we were horrible against the run, but we certainly weren't good either. We were middle of the road, and, and some and teams were run the ball with too much ease. Now, part of that was that we were playing conservatively and trying to keep two safeties deep to defend against the big plays, of course, as a part of it. But we simply did not have a body type like Jordan Davis. Michael Barnett was doing uh, a, a good job, put, doing as best as he could in there, but he's not a true nose guard. He's not a guy he's not that's going to be able to eat up blocks and potentially two get there. That's just not who he is. We didn't have a body like that when John John Atkins moved on. Jordan Davis gave us that body. Uh, and I, I want to give him credit, too, for working his tail off to get ready, you know? Like, this is a guy that coming in the summer was not in the shape to be ready to contribute, and that's why he wasn't playing earlier. But he went to work, he didn't complain, the coaches never gave up on him, and boom, by the middle of the year, he becomes a key cog in our run defense and really kind of transforms what we were able to do defensively against the run. So I think uh, you and I actually both had him first on our list as well. So congratulations, Jordan Davis. And that brings us with our overall team newcomer of the year. So we have the offensive newcomer is Cade Mays. Defensive newcomer is Jordan Davis. Kurt, these guys in our voting came out tied. So when we have a tie, I'm going to give you the honor of casting the tie-breaking vote between Cade Mays and Jordan Davis as the overall team newcomer of the year. Um, I'd probably be a Jordan Davis, I think, just because the trajectory of the defense he changed. But what, oh, oh, that's fair. And look, and I can't argue with either one of these guys. This is a tough one for me. It's kind of a cop out for me to have you pick. Uh, could you say Cade, Cade Mays kind of held the offensive line together as well? He did, but I think you also saw that the offense was still doing pretty solidly when Trey Hill came in. Fair point. Because Cade uh, did eventually get hurt, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, Hill. Hill didn't, you know, he, I don't think he was a level of K-Mays, but he still did admirably, where there was no one that could replace 
Yeah, I don't think there was a, a, a noticeable, a, too much of a noticeable difference between Cade Mays and Trey Hill. Mays thought was the better player, but and I would take him over what Trey Hill did overall. But I don't think there was a dramatic drop off when Trey Hill had to come in when Mays went out. Um, but you're right, Jordan Davis completely. I, I will, I will continue to say he transformed our rush defense. Like our what we were able to do against the run after his insertion in the starting lineup was totally different than what we were doing before, and he is the sole change in that lineup. I mean, we didn't change linebackers, didn't change anyone else in the line except for Jordan Davis in the front seven. That's what we changed, and there was a pretty dramatic difference outside of, of course, the LSU game, which was just yeah, I don't want to think about that game. That sucked. Um, but yeah, so I'm with you, man. Jordan Davis is the team newcomer of the year again. Congratulations to Jordan. Um, not that he's even aware of who we are, but hey. Regardless, congratulations, Jordan. All right, moving on to the next category here. <clears throat> we have the award for the Offensive Most Improved Player of the Year. And the nominees are Offensive Tackle Isaiah Wilson, Tailback Elijah Holyfield, Wide Receiver Tyler Simmons, and also Wide Receiver J.J. Jeremiah Holloman. So, Curtis, our winner of the Offensive Most Improved Player of the Year is, drumroll, Elijah Holyfield. All right, now this one, uh, I went back and forth on. There, for a second here, I was strongly considering Isaiah Wilson. I was really strongly considering him. Uh, and I, I eventually went with Elijah Holyfield here, and you did too. So tell me, why did you go with Elijah Holyfield as the most improved player? I mean, my reasoning is, you know, honestly, we, you and I both have been, you know, for a while saying that we thought Holyfield should have got more carries, especially yeah. last year. And I think it's pretty crazy. obvious at this point. But I think yeah. the biggest reason was that, especially the first half of the season, Swift was not 100%. So he was our horse, and he went from you know getting very few carries, if not any in certain games last, the last couple of years, to mm-hmm. having to be our horse. Mm-hmm. And I think that he did a, a you know really good job of being someone that we could depend on. Man, that's a, that's a great analysis of why you went with him. That's hard to argue with that. You're right. Because, guys, I know it's – as well as DeAndre Swift performed down the stretch, with, really it was three games in a row. It was Florida, Kentucky, and Auburn. He was just – he was incredible. But the first half of the season, Swift was a shell of what he was last year, right? Yeah. I mean, he was definitely hurt. He was feeling the groin injury. I mean, it was there was an issue there. He was hurt. And he was, you know, he was doing his best to go out there and, and work through it. And I got I give props to the toughness. But Holyfield kind of you know, he didn't put up massive numbers. I think he only had two hundred yard uh games on the year. But he was he was the horse grinding out tough yards, keeping the chains moving, and keeping us on schedule. Without him, I don't know if we would have been able to be as successful on the ground early in the season because Swift, as talented as he is, just wasn't ready in terms of his injury at that point. And Harrion's a good, solid back. And, I mean, I think Harrion would have done a good job. I'm actually, I actually believe in Brian Harrion. Um, but James Cook wasn't really ready. We know we didn't have uh, Zeus to work with last year. So without Holyfield there early in the season, it, it could have turned out different. There might have been another loss or two in the schedule. So I, I – I, I'm totally with you on this, where I landed on this, but I was initially considering Isaiah Wilson as my number one choice and not Holyfield, because to me, Holyfield, like, how much did he really improve? Now, his, his yardage totals improved. I think Holyfield could have done this last year. I mean, in 2017, are you, like, obviously we had Sony and Nick, so they're going to get the carries, they deserve to get the carries, but let's say they had gone pro after the 2016 season. Do you think Elijah Holyfield could have done very something very similar to what he did this year in 2017? I do. I just think he also matured, though, also. Yeah, that's fair. He got stronger, of course. He's always been a jacked up dude. He got stronger. And look, with your experience, you know, working with the program, you're going to get better. Um, I went with Wilson because he's a guy that redshirt just wasn't ready to play last year. Initially, I was going to go with Wilson. And I, I actually had a really good true redshirt freshman year there on the right side. Uh, wasn't perfect, but I thought he played really well for redshirt freshman. 
But you're right. Elijah Holyfield probably had the bigger impact on the team um, and really kind of carried us through uh, the first couple of, se- of weeks of the year when Swift was not quite 100%. Uh, all right, next one here. Flipped over to the other side of the ball. we got the defensive most improved player of the year. And our nominees are Eric Stokes, cornerback. Uh, running back Tay – or not oh, former running back. Wow. Linebacker now Tay Crowder. Uh, safety Richard LeCount III. And outside linebacker DeAndre Walker. So those are nominees. Again, Eric Stokes, Tay Crowder, Richard LeCount III, and DeAndre Walker. And the award for the defensive most improved player of the year goes to Eric Stokes. So, Curtis, you uh, you had Eric Stokes number one, right, on yours, if I remember correctly? Yeah. I Here's another guy that I also had number one. I thought this was pretty clear to me. Um uh, why did you end up going with Eric Stokes here? What did you see from him throughout the year? Um, you know, he's someone that you and I have been really hard on, and I thought he, we have. you know when he came in there, I thought he did a, you know, I, I think he did a real good job. I think he was a difference than what we had. How surprised I, were you when he came in the Missouri game and played as well as he did? I was extremely shocked. Um, I think that's the you know he and the thing that shot me so well is he was playing the ball well which that's what he used to struggle with absolutely maybe, fine. It's doing, th- doing things that cornerbacks have to do is what he struggled with yeah exactly so I thought he did a really good job and he really you know Campbell didn't play poorly but he just made some mistakes and I thought uh, you know Eric Stokes did a good job of changing that yeah and like I, this is one that I have to admit like you said that I was totally wrong on um, you and I were really hard on him uh his first couple years here in the program, I mean, his, definitely his first year where he registered, and then, and then the spring also, we just didn't really like what we saw because he looked kind of like, I don't want to be too hard on Tyson, he wasn't lost all the time. Eric Stokes looked lost out there his first year and a half in Athens. And uh, he's a guy that came in very raw, and he was kind of like a late take in the process. We kind of just took him late in that class. And it was, his guy had super great speed coming out of high school, very athletic, but he was an athlete, like just a very raw athlete. And those kind of guys, sometimes they work out, sometimes they don't. And oftentimes, more often than not, they don't work out. So I thought he might fall in that category. But I was wrong because I completely miscalculated his work ethic and his drive to become better, the attitude he would take to this. He's not a guy that complained like some people do when they don't get to play and they go take their ball and go somewhere else. That wasn't Eric Stokes. Eric Stokes put his head down and went to work, and I have so much respect for those kind of guys, and I have a lot of respect for Eric Stokes because he proved me wrong. I, I, I got man enough to admit it. I was wrong on him, and I'm so happy that I was wrong because this guy I think is going to be a big time player for us. I think he's already shown that. I was sitting in the stands in Columbia, Missouri, uh, freezing my my butt off in that game. I decided to wear shorts. I don't know why I did, but I did, uh, and I was pretty cold. But Eric Stokes warmed me up pretty quick. I got the blood flowing when he came in because I was kind of freaking out when I saw him go in. I, I know. Were you freaking out on t- when you were watching on TV, Kurt, when he went in? Extremely. Oh, I, like when Campbell went out, I was like, oh, God, because I know what Drew Locke's capable of. I know Missouri can be throwing the football. So I was freaking out. Oh, my God, here comes Eric Stokes. Oh, my God, game's over. Got, got a 13-hour drive home. It's going to be miserable. All the all the st- same old stuff for me. But I was wrong. Eric Stokes played his tail off in that game, and they went after him, too. They went after him that game, and I, I became a believer there. Uh, and then he got his chance later in the season. I think the first start was the UMass game. And he didn't. He never looked back, man. And I don't know if he will. Uh, I really like. He's got the athleticism, the speed, but he's also got the ability to play the ball and just the awareness. He's just really improved. So uh, I like what I saw from him. I think he's pretty clearly of those candidates the most improved player on our defense this year. Uh, and that leaves us with our team most improved player of the year. 
uh, overall most improved player of the year. And Kerr, again, we had a tie between Elijah Holyfield and Eric Stokes, so I'm going to allow you again to break the tie here. I'm going to once again go with Eric Stokes, and I think the ah. biggest reason is I think he just made the biggest jump. It was a massive jump. I, I totally agree with you here. I... I, I I told you guys a second ago, like the one of the reasons I was not I was considering going with Wilson, not Holyfield. So Alvin's the most improved player. I thought Holyfield was really good the years before. He just didn't get a chance to play much by injury, and then of course Sony and Nick come back, so there's just no room for him to play. I thought he was that he would have been that guy last year. Uh, whereas Eric Stokes, I, I think if he got plugged in in 2017, it would have been a disaster. I do believe that. I think in 2017 he wasn't ready, but he went to work and got ready. And you're right, made a massive jump. So. I think that Eric Stokes is, is a really good choice here as the overall team most improved player of the year, and I cannot wait to see how much he improves this year and the, and the step he takes going into 2019. All right, now the next category, I do want to explain this one. This is the category for the offensive most indispensable player. Now, I want to clarify this. Indispensable does not necessarily mean best. It means the player that we can least afford to lose, the guy that we could not play without or we would struggle without, right? That if he didn't play, we'd probably end up losing a game or two. Um, so the category, again, is offensive most indispensable player, and the nominees are Elijah Holyfield, running back, Riley Ridley, wide receiver, Jake Fromm, quarterback, Andrew Thomas, offensive tackle, and the award for offensive most indispensable player goes to Elijah Holyfield. Uh, you and I were different on this one, Kurt. We've been kind of on the same page earlier throughout the show. You had Holyfield uh, as number one. I had Holyfield. Look at, my, look at the list here. I had Holyfield on my list, but I had him at number two. Uh, but since you had number one, it bumped him up. The guy I had number one, you had way down your list. Uh, but t- explain to me why Holyfield was the most indispensable player, the guy that we could not do without. Because, like you said, Swift was the shell of his former self that first half of the season. And if we did not have him to be the horse that he was for us, then we probably would have been in a lot more trouble. In the first half of the season, a thousand percent true. A hundred percent true. In the second half of the season, as good as Swift was, we had to have that that one. The grind out yards. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Holyfield was not the explosive guy. That was certainly I mean, Swift's just role. About, just think about the Texas game. Uh, he, Him and Harriam were really the only ones that really did much of anything offensively. Yeah. And Look, yeah, I, I can argue with that. He did a good job bringing energy and physicality to the team. Yeah, this is one of those awards where, you know, the, the person you pick might not have won, but, like, you're totally cool with it because you get it. Like, it's hard to argue against it. Like, you've been, like, 1A for me. Um, so I'm with you, man. I mean, that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Now, I know everyone out there is going to, like, shake their head and – Palm, head to palm, I get it when they when I say this, but I'm just I think this position is the most important position on the field. And I the guy I chose, and he didn't win because Kerr had him like number hit him last in this one. I had Jake Fromm number one. You had Jake Fromm number four. And I know I, I, I love Jake Fromm. You guys know that. I, mean, I made no bones about that. He's not perfect, and I will rip him when he needs to. The LSU was terrible. Texas was terrible, just bad performances all around in those two games. Just not just not good enough. It simply wasn't. But I think if you take Jake from out of the starting lineup and you insert Justin Fields as our quarterback, as talented as he is, as high as his potential is, I don't think that Justin Fields is ready to be our starting quarterback this year. Do you? No. I simply do not. And I'm not saying that Jake Fromm is the best quarterback in America by saying this. I'm not saying Jake Fromm's the best player on the team. He's not the best player on the team. He's really not. I mean, maybe top five right now. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe not just outside, somewhere around there. But he's not the best player on the team. He's not the most talented player on the team. But he was the guy that was clearly, in my opinion, 
most ready to lead us at the quarterback position. I don't think Justin Fields was ready for that. I just don't. Super talented guy, could do things for us. Sure, there's things he could have done to help us, but run the entire offense, I, I didn't see it from him. I know there, he didn't get a ton of playing time, but when he got time and was in there throwing the football, I saw a guy that could not read a defense and a guy that had no idea where to go with football. See, it was a one-read, tuck-and-run guy, and that, that works against in Middle Tennessee State. It works against Massachusetts. It doesn't work against the big boys in the elite defenses in the world. It just doesn't. It's just not going to work. So, by virtue of that, I think the Fields just wasn't ready. I, and that doesn't mean he's he won't be ready next year. He might ball out for Ohio State when he gets his when he gets his uh, approval to play next year. <clears throat> he uh, his waiver. He's, I'm sure he's going to get that. I'm sure he'll be great because he has a high ceiling. He's really talented. But that doesn't mean he was ready last year. And I think the quarterback position is a critical position on any team, not just on the football, but getting the team in the right plays. Making audibles in the line of scrimmage, those are all things that Jake Fromm did really well. Without him, I think we might have lost another game or two. Is that, I mean, is that a, am I like way out of bounds here with that take? No, I mean, that's fair, especially when you look at the Florida game. Yeah, and that's what I'm looking at. There's like, yeah, he played really bad against LSU, but he also bounced back with a crazy good performance against Florida and basically went on a tear the rest of the season. Now, I, I can't explain what happened to LSU. That's inexplicable. I have no idea what happened. He just, he just played terribly. And Texas was a bad performance too. Missed some open guys. Now, some of the receivers didn't help him out when he put the ball in the money, but he also missed plenty of guys that were open. And I can't explain why he has a game or two like that on his resume when every other game he's so efficient. I mean, you look at his numbers, kind of back up why I had him at number one. He was top 10 in the nation in yards per attempt at 9.0. This is after the Texas game. Before the Texas game, he was top five in a couple of these categories. But he was top 10 in, uh, in the final numbers in yards per attempt. 9.0 yards per attempt, 11th incompletion percent, which is very abnormal. You see guys who typically throw the ball, guys usually have the high completion percentage numbers are guys who are dinking and dunking, like in West Coast offenses, they're not pushing the ball down the field. It's very rare to see a guy that's top 10 in yards per attempt where he's throwing the ball down the field, which are lower percentage throws, and also borderline top 10 in completion percentage in the country. And Jake Fromm is that. I mean, that's pretty rare. Whether you think he's a talented guy or not, I mean, those numbers, they don't lie. And he was also fifth in the nation in quarterback rating overall. So he had a good year. Regard- yeah, he had two bad games. But other than that, I mean, he was lights out. And again, the quarterback position is so important. And really the reason I went with him um, is, again, I think quarterback position is really important. I think he did a really good job. I think his backup wasn't ready to be the guy this year, maybe next year, but not this year. And really, I don't think there was a another clear standout option. There wasn't a guy on offense. Like, I'm just going to like fast forward to the next position. Like, DeAndre Baker is the most indispensable player on defense, right? 100%. I mean, that's clear. There wasn't that clear-cut 100% dude for the offense. I mean, you could definitely make an argument for Holyfield, which you did a very good job of, and I think, and I totally buy that. Uh, Ridley, I don't know if you can make an argument for that. Thomas, you could potentially make an argument for. Only reason I didn't go with Thomas is he missed a couple of games, and we still were fine on the offensive line with Cade Mays there. So how indispensable is he when he goes out and a guy performs just well, I don't say just as well, but well enough for us to not really miss him too much in that game. So... Um, that's why I went with Fromm number one, um, but I can totally see why you would not have him number one. I mean, it's hard to argue Elijah Holyfield too. But with in our uh, overall awards, the winner is Elijah Holyfield for most indispensable player, and I'm cool with that. Uh, all right, next one, I kind of just spilled the beans there. Uh, the defensive most indispensable player award. I'll just go through the, the uh, award, the uh, nominees here real quick. Our defensive lineman Jonathan Ledbetter, outside linebacker DeAndre Walker, safety J.R. Reed, and cornerback DeAndre Baker, and of course, the winner is DeAndre Baker. Enough said there, right? Yeah, no question I mean, just a, I don't know if I really believe in shutdown corners anymore with the way the rules are tilted towards the offense's advantage these days, 
But I think he's about as close as we've had since Champ Ailey, right? I mean, that's I, mean, I can't think anyone else has been. I mean, we've had some good corners, but I don't think anyone like that in 20-ish years. It's been a minute. So uh, I think this one's also pretty clear. So we've got Elijah Holyfield as our offensive most indispensable player. DeAndre Baker is our defensive most indispensable player. So, Curtis, again, we'll let you break the tie here. Who is the most indispensable player on the entire team? I guess, actually, there's no tie here. It's just DeAndre Baker. Yeah, really. Right? That's the award. DeAndre Baker, the most indispensable player on both sides of the ball for your 2018 Georgia Bulldogs. All right, next award here is a specific performance. The award for Offensive Performance of the Year. And uh, the nominees are DeAndre Swift versus Auburn. 17 carries for 186 yards, one touchdown, along with, with four catches for 43 yards. Uh, it was tough to choose between him and, and that game in Kentucky, but I went with Auburn because he had a career high in total yardage there with 186. Uh, the next nominee is Jake Fromm versus Florida. 17 of 24 passing for 240 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, and a 96.7 QBR. Highly, highly rated stuff there in that QBR rating in that game. Uh, then we've got Miko Hardman. Go all the way back to week two versus South Carolina. Six catches for 103 yards, 17.2 yards a catch, one touchdown, and one rush for 30 yards. And then the last nominee for the, the offensive performance of the year is the entire Georgia offensive line versus Kentucky where we ran for 331 yards on 6.6 yards a carry. We had two 100-yard rushers in that game, went for three touchdowns, allowed zero sacks against the 16th best pass rush in the nation, including Josh Allen, who, if you look at draft boards right now, is a top-five pick, according to some people out there. And we held him, we basically shut him out. No tackles for loss, no sacks, shut him out. And he was moving all around, and it was a team effort there on the offensive line. So great performance there by the UJ offensive line against Kentucky. So... Those are our nominees, and our winner for Offensive Performance of the Year is Jake Fromm versus Florida. And Kurt, you had Jake Fromm versus Florida as well, so it's not just me on this one. If you guys want to hate on us, hate on both of us equally on this one. So Kurt, uh, explain to me though, why was Jake Fromm's performance the most impressive single game performance of the year offensively? I think the one thing is that you, that's not exactly mentioned the stats, but when you go back and think about it, it's the, the touchdown pass is coming on the third downs. Uh, I so think critical, that was, yeah. Yeah, I think that's what decided the game. And, you know, those third down completions are really what set us over at the top. Yeah, and the numbers are impressive um, just, I mean, all around. And you're right, doing it on third down. Uh, and the, some of those were tough throws, like in tight windows. And he, he stood in the pocket against a, a, a hellacious pass rush, too, and they were in Florida and delivered some some just absolute beauties. I mean, he was delivering dimes. Uh, and I also want to add to that the fact that – well, do, let me ask you. Does the fact that this performance in Florida, that, that the fact that it came after such a horrible performance on the road in Baton Rouge, did that factor into your thinking at all? I think it could. You know, he had such a bad game. And like you said, Florida had a great pass rush. So, yeah. And, and – on those third down touch passes, I mean, I think two of the three were more than five plus yards, so they yeah. knew what we were doing. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, they did. Yeah, they knew they knew we were throwing the football, and he delivered. Offensive line did their part, of course, as a team ever. It's never just one guy, but I mean, the numbers are great. Uh, the situational play was great, like you said, on third down, and the fact to me also you have to factor in that he responded like a champ. Uh, I mean, that LSU game was bad, man. You saw him on the sideline after the game, and he was trying to hold it together. I mean, he, if you go back and watch the, that that uh, that game, at the end of the game, he knew he knew it. He knew how bad he played. He knew he let his team down, and that bothered him. It hurt him. 
and uh, he was trying to hold it together. And he he did. Uh, and you know that the quarterback competition was opened up uh, in the in the bye week and the two weeks between that game and the Florida game. And you know he responded. He came out and he played lights out. There's a chance if he comes out and he played as poorly as against LSU to start that game, Justin Fields might have gotten some shots in that game, right? Yeah. But he didn't. Like when the pressure was on, the dude responded. And to me, that is what champions do. So I got to give him credit for that one. You could have gone with anyone. I mean, DeAndre Swift, the game against Auburn was just ungodly. And if you think back to Miko in that first game, uh, the second game of the year against South Carolina, he played big in that game. Like he was a big time reason why we won that game. I mean, he was a big part of the offense. And again, the offensive line against Kentucky was just stellar all the way around. But I think in one single game performance, you look at it all. I would go with Jake Fromm in that one. Um, all right, in defensive performance of the year, we only have three nominees on this one because I don't know. I mean, we we had DeAndre Baker stand out throughout the year, but I don't know if we had any like major single game standout performances this year on defense. Um, so our nominees for this one are uh, DeAndre Baker versus South Carolina, holding Debo Samuel to six catches for 33 yards, and they were targeting him early and often that game. Also had an interception and a pick six. I guess that was a touchdown in that game, the pick six. So that kind of started us off there. So DeAndre Baker is nominee number one. Then we have DeAndre Walker a couple of weeks later versus Missouri, had two sacks, two forced fumbles. When that game was getting tight, and, that, and, and those were big plays, momentum-changing plays for us to be able to hold off the Missouri charge and be able to walk, walk, to walk out of Columbia with a victory. And then we also have Jonathan, a combination here, because uh, I couldn't pick just one of these guys, but I thought they both played outstanding this game. Jonathan Ledbetter and Malik Herring uh, combining together in the Georgia Tech game, based playing that five-tech defensive end spot. Uh, Ledbetter had nine tackles and one TFL against Tech, and Herring had five stops. One half tackle for loss in one sack. So their com- their combined defensive end performance against Georgia Tech would be our third nominee in this category. And pretty obviously here, the winner is DeAndre Baker versus South Carolina holding Debo Samuel. Remember all the trash they were talking the offseason, Kurt? Yeah. And what? I mean, Debo over there, like, who? Oh, my God. Absolutely. The only Debo I know is a Debo from Friday, right? That's all. That's why he said come off the field. If you guys caught that, I mean, you guys remember. And all all season long, we could not stop hearing about South Carolina. And I mean, let's just be real. We we put them in their place. We shut them up. And DeAndre Baker was a big part of that. You know, DB Samuel's come back. Well, DeAndre Baker's come back too. And we saw who won that battle. So hats off, hat off there to to DeAndre Baker. Uh, and so the overall performance of the year, Kurt, we had a tie here as well. I'm gonna let you break the tie. Is it Jake Fromm or DeAndre Baker? Tough, I know. I'm probably gonna go with Fromm. Yeah, I, like Baker. I mean, God, it was such a good performance, and, the, and that interception really got us off on the right foot in a hostile environment. I was in the stands there in the stadium, and that place went quiet, and it didn't really get loud again after that pick six. Really, they tried at times, but it, it just didn't happen. And eventually, we were doing the whole sandstorm thing. All the Georgia fans were, not them. Uh, so that was a big play, and, a, and he had a big performance. But I mean, look, that Fromm's performance against Florida, because the thing, guys, like. Us winning the SEC East was certainly still in doubt then, right? Yeah. Very much in doubt. Very. We had to win that game and Kentucky. And that that way he performed that game kind of followed through the last part of the year. Those last five games of the year, he played literally statistically as well as any quarterback in the country not named Tua Tungavailoa. Uh, and, I mean, if you look at the numbers, uh, his, his ratings, QBR, all that stuff, his efficiency, he was right there just behind Tua as number two in the country those last five weeks of the season. And the Florida game kickstarted all that following that terrible performance against LSU. So I, I, I'm with, I think I'm with you there, Kurt. I'm going to go with Jake on that one. Um, and special teams player of the year is our next category. Our nominees are uh, Miko Hardman, 
16 punt returns for 321 yards, one touchdown, 20 yards return, 14 kick returns for 353 yards, averaging 25.1 yards a return. Rodrigo Blankenship, 19 of 23 on field goals this year, 83% of conversion there, 90% touchdown touchback rate, at least according to his father who runs the Rodrigo Blankenship website. It's the only place I could find those actual touchback rates. So might or might not be 100% accurate, but it's pretty close. I remember seeing a number late in the season where it was like at 91-ish percent. So we'll go with that. Uh, and a total of 82 touchbacks on the year, which sets a single-season Georgia kicker record, actually breaking his own record from last year. Um, then we have special teams ace Jason Stanley playing all around on special teams. Also, the uh, last time to hear, Tyler Simmons, also another special teams ace who was totally on sides. We don't want to remember that, but he was. Uh, so, drum roll, and the winner is Rodrigo Blankenship. Uh, pretty clear here, right, Kurt? Yeah. I mean, Miko was good, but Miko wasn't elite. He was good, but not, I would say not elite in that regard. Rodrigo was a flat-out baller all year long. Yes. Yes. We remember the the Alabama miss. Like, I mean, how can you forget that? But let's not let that mar what was a really, really good season by Rodrigo Blankenship. And we are very fortunate to have him come back next year as a senior. Um, I'm very excited to see what he continues to do. As I mean, the, the, how much this guy has improved over the years is just unbelievable. I mean, he's he's another guy just like Eric Stokes who's gone to work, kept his head down. Uh, ignore the noise, all that junk with his dad, and uh, has just responded, man. He's just been a great player for us. So really glad he's back with us and uh, had a great year. Uh, all right, uh, the only other award we have left to give out are the Offensive and Defensive MVPs. Before we get there, we do want to also release the Curtis and Tyler All-Georgia team. Uh, and look, what we did here is we limited this to five players, all right? We could, I mean, look, if we would have done, we considered doing all-offense and all-defense, like, but it's like, okay, well, who's the all-quarterback? Okay, a first-team quarterback, obviously Jake Fromm. He's the guy who played. I mean, it, it just wouldn't have worked that way. So we just basically ranked our top 10 players, who we thought were the top 10 players of the team. And then I did, I did the calculations, and it came out. And we had – so the guys that finished in the top five there are our all-Georgia team. So unscientific, but this is what we came up with. Uh, so the all-Georgia team is as follows. This is in no specific order. But we're going to start with the guy that's – I mean, he was all-American. I mean, DeAndre Baker. Congratulations, DeAndre, on the all-Georgia team. Uh, Elijah Holyfield, Jonathan Ledbetter, DeAndre Walker on the defensive side of the ball, and then number five was a tie, Curtis. And I, again, I'm going to let you break the tie. So we have DeAndre Baker, Elijah Holyfield, Jonathan Ledbetter, and DeAndre Walker, who were definitely in the top five on our all-Georgia team. And then tied for fifth, we've got Andrew Thomas, Jake Fromm, and DeAndre Swift. So, Curtis, I'm going to put you on the spot, man. Out of those three. Because I think the biggest thing is you saw when he plays bad, the team plays bad. And when he played well, the team played well. That's fair. That's fair. And I'm not going to argue with that. I mean, it's tough to leave John Jerry Swift out. But the reason I didn't have Swift in my top five, honestly, is because for half the year, like you said earlier, he was hurt. He was, I mean, I'm not going to say he was a non-factor, but he wasn't as much of a factor as he became the second half of the year. Uh, whereas and Thomas was injured a little bit there too. But I think Thomas might be the most talented player on our team. Uh, he'll probably be the most likely the highest drafted player when he leaves after next year. Um, so it's hard to, to leave him out. But, again, you're right. Quarterback's such an important position. When Fromm played poorly, the whole team played poorly. It was two games out of the year. And we played well. The team played well. It's kind of what That's why the quarterback is one of the most important positions on the on the team. So, yeah, it's hard to argue with that, uh, with Fromm there. It's hard for me to leave Andrew Thomas out. But, yeah, I, I, I'm good with that. So, finally, our all-Georgia team, Baker, Elijah Holyfield, John the Ledbetter, DeAndre Walker, and Jake 
from. I do want to ask you one thing before we move on, Kurt, about this list. I think some people might be surprised we have Jonathan Ledbetter in this top five. Uh, why did you include him in your top five? Because I think you I had think him as the, as the third guy on your list, I think. I think what he brought to the defense, you know, the, the fact of he did multiple things with setting the edge and the run, but also just, I, I mean, he, I just think his versatility and what he brought to the defense was incredibly valuable. And I thought, you know, he was probably one of our defensive players the last five, six games of the year. He was so rock solid all year. And you're right. I think the last half of the year, he was a flat-out baller. And if you look at some of the NFL draft boards, he's moving up but based on what he's doing the Senior Bowl. I mean, this guy's having apparently a heck of a Senior Bowl out there with his practices. And they haven't played the game yet, but at practices, he's been tearing it up. And I am not remotely surprised. Because when I watched our team play, this guy flashed during the game. And when I went back and rewatched games, he flashed again. He just he plays a thankless position in the 3-4, right? Yeah. That five tech defensive end is just, it's a thankless position because what you're doing is you're setting the edge, you're holding guys up, you're sometimes two gapping, sometimes not, and then you slide inside and play a defensive tackle like a three tech sometimes, depending on down and distance and situations. And he just did the dirty work, and he was so freaking good at it, man. I mean, he played so well down the stretch. He was, you know, we talked about Jordan Davis being a key part of our rush defense when he entered the equation. But I think Jonathan Ledbetter was one of the guys holding that together before we introduced Jordan Davis into the equation. And he just got better as the season went on. It's just such an underrated player playing a, a, a position that gets very little glory out there. He doesn't get the sacks. That's not what he's asked to do. But what he was asked to do and what that position requires, he did it extraordinarily well. So I know it's a name that some of us might not think should be in that top five in the All-Georgia team. But I think if you really watch it closely – it's hard to argue that this guy wasn't one of the top five or six players on this team. And that doesn't mean he's going to be the highest draft pick. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about who was who played the best, who had the best year for us at what they were asked to do all throughout the year for this 2018 Georgia team. So we got, we got again, DeAndre Baker, Elijah Holyfield, John the Ledbetter, DeAndre Walker, and Jake Fromm. And that leads us with our last set of awards here, the MVPs. Now, this is for the guy who was the most valuable. And so it's a little bit different than indispensable. You can You can – Define MVP how you want. Everybody does it their own way. Some people define it as like the most outstanding player, just the best player. Some say who's, who's most valuable, whatever. So our offensive MVP nominees are DeAndre Swift, Andrew Thomas, Jake Fromm, Elijah Holyfield, and we also threw in a fifth guy in Riley Ridley. So again, Elijah Holyfield, DeAndre Swift, Jake Fromm, Andrew Thomas, and Riley Ridley are our nominees for offensive MVP, and the winner is, drum roll, Elijah Holyfield. Uh, Kurt, you had him, I believe, at number one, right? Yeah. And it's very similar to what you said. I'm not going to ask you to go through the whole thing. Is it just basically what you talked about earlier? How he was a guy that kept us going early part of the season while while Swift got healthy, and more or less was just a guy getting the tough yards for us. Yeah. Which is what we have to have. In our pro style offense, we want to hit home runs, sure, but you got to have the guy that keeps the chains moving. Or those guys will have a chance to hit the home runs. And Holyfield was that guy. who was just a tough dude that came, packed up his lunch pail every single day and just came to work and got it done. Thousand-yard rusher. I'm actually very upset he's going pro. I, I would love to have him back. I think he'd be... A, I think he'd be a freaking superstar next year, but I wish him the absolute best. Can't blame him for going pro when he's got the chance here. Um, and that leaves us with a defensive MVP. Our candidates are DeAndre Walker, DeAndre Baker, J.R. Reed, and Jonathan Ledbetter. And as you can all probably guess, this is very anticlimactic. The defensive MVP for the year is DeAndre Baker. Enough said on that one. And then finally, the overall t- team MVP between Elijah Holyfield and DeAndre Baker, offense versus defense, 
The winner is DeAndre Baker. Congratulations, DeAndre. You earned it, man. Do you think he's going to be a top 10 pick, Kurt? He should be. Yeah, I totally, I, I totally think he should be. Uh, I've seen a lot of draft boards out there with Greedy Williams ahead of him. I just don't know, man. I mean, Greedy Williams is good, but mm, it's hard to go, it's hard to pass up DeAndre Baker. He, he was just such a stud for us. Another guy who didn't go cry and take his ball and go home when things didn't work out early in his career, right? Remember we, we remember Jawan Briscoe? Remember that fiasco in 2016? Trying to play him above DeAndre Baker? Like, Jesus Christ. Woo! And maybe Baker wasn't ready early. I don't know. Uh, but he didn't cry. He kept working just like Stokes did and uh, just like Jordan Davis did. And his time was his time came. His number was called. He was ready to go. And he just never looked back. He's been a superstar since that day. And uh, you're going to miss him, man. We're definitely going to miss him next year. But uh, all right, guys. That does it for us here today on the Glory UJ podcast, handing out our postseason Georgia football awards. Again, what we put out there doesn't mean we were right. You guys probably disagreed on a lot of these. Hopefully you agree on some of them. But we'd love to hear your thoughts. You can uh, hit us up on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA. Uh, definitely looking forward to hear what you guys have to say on that front. And again, if you're not subscribed to us, please give us a shot on uh, Podbean at Glory. Or you check us out first at, at Glory U- underscore UGA. Click on the link there. Take us to, they'll take you to the Podbean page. You check us out. You get a free week. Uh, and you have con- uh, access to all of our premium content throughout the rest of the year for $2 a month, so just give it a shot. Hopefully it's worth your while here. We'll have uh, some stuff for you guys later next week as well. We were going to do a recruiting show today, but we kept putting this show off, so we want to go ahead and get this out of the way, and we'll have, we want the uh, official visit we can go by this weekend, and then we'll have some recruiting talk for you guys next week as we get closer to the late signing period. But thanks for listening, guys. We really appreciate everyone's support. We can't thank you guys enough. Uh, for Curtis, I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs.